and welcome to the O3C podcast, coming to you from O3C Games. My name is Jonathan Dunn, and I'm joined in my tower by Chris Dow. Yep. <laughs> it's been such a long time, I didn't know what I was supposed to say. You're not supposed to say anything, you're just supposed to be you. And we're talking about video games. Hello and welcome back to our new format O3C podcast. We have had a heck of a break and uh, we hope that everyone listening has had a good summer. We hope that you've been enjoying our newsletter content over this break. If you're not subscribed, head over to o3c.games. Do that immediately because there's a lot of great content coming at your inboxes every week now and it's excellent. Also, while you're there, click the link to join us in the O3C Discord to chat with us, because that's also a wonderful venue to fill the void left in between our new monthly episodes. Also, if you hadn't noticed, I've been putting together a walloping great big spoiler special bonus sub-series with friend of the podcast, Casper Meyerowitz, covering every single little bit of Tears of the Kingdom. So between all of that, I think you're actually now getting more content than you were the times of weekly episodes. My workload has certainly increased so well done me for excellent management there anyway i am thrilled to be back with chris for these monthly episodes where we will be catching you up on our recent gaming activity chatting about any current gaming news and hot topics but yeah chris how are you i'm good I should feel more rested after a big summer but i feel quite tired because we're now catching up after a few days back at the grindstone as it were at school oh, yeah and it's amazing how quickly you forget that you had a summer <laughs> when you're thrown right in at the deep end at the start of a new term but oh, i'll survive yeah. and give me a week or two and i'll be a bit more level just feeling quite highly strung for this first few days how are you yeah i'm all right i'm all right like it's been a fun summer done lots of work done lots of stuff tackled potty training with my daughter how's that going i've finally stopped shitting myself <laughs> <laughs> So, um, and she's very proud. She's, <laughs> she's very she's proud. Very proud. <laughs> she's very proud of me. She's given me lots of uh, lots of star stickers. So, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, done very well there. So, thank you for asking. What are you buying? What are you playing? To kick things off for this first episode back, we, basically what we've done is we've picked five games to talk about each in this episode that have kept us occupied over the last couple of months. I've basically only got five games to talk about because of the many hundreds of hours Jeez. I've poured into into Zelda. And obviously, I'm not going to talk about Tears of the Kingdom because I'm dedicating about a billion hours of the spoiler special episodes to that. But I did clock about 220 hours on the game before I was satisfied to put it down. I mean, I say satisfied. I wasn't really because even though I'd rinsed the game of pretty much everything, I wanted more. So I decided to dive straight into a fresh playthrough of Breath of the Wild on Master Mode, which I'd never done. Silly. Well, (laughs) like, I hadn't actually returned to Breath of the Wild since I'd put that down about seven years ago. And I was sort of under the impression that the advancements made in Tears of the Kingdom would kind of make Breath of the Wild a bit redundant. But then also thinking about going back to the simplicity of Breath of the Wild after the, I mean, frankly, overwhelming creative playground of Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah. Like, that actually appealed to me. And couple that with the added restrictions of playing in master mode, where everything is a lot, lot harder, you have to really slow yourself down, consider every move you make. It kind of felt like exactly what I wanted after, I mean, literally being able to do anything in Tears of the Kingdom. And I wasn't sure if I was embarking on a full playthrough of Breath of the Wild. I was fairly content to play, like, as much as I wanted, but fucking hell. (laughs) That is a game that not only stands up after seven years, but also totally retains all validity as a game in its own right, even in the shadow of Tears of the Kingdom. And playing Master Mode, it really did give me an entirely new way of approaching the game, because, yeah, everything is... So much harder. The enemies are all like a colour rank higher by default and they hit harder. Your weapons hit softer, break more easily. And also enemies' health regenerates if you leave them alone. So slow and steady doesn't always work as well. Like You have to think so, so carefully about every single move and attack and encounter, especially in the early stages of the game. And even though like your progress is significantly slower than it would be playing it on normal mode or playing it with like you know the endless toy box of abilities in tears of the kingdom because you are so hyper focused on every aspect of the game it might be slow but it's never dull and i found myself just keeping playing 
and playing and playing. <laughs> and I did come up against a fairly sizable roadblock at one point that I thought might see me cave. And that was playing the DLC content from Breath of the Wild, especially the Trial of the Sword challenge, which sees you stripped of all items, weapons, armor, and like your champion abilities. It puts you through an ever-increasingly dangerous gauntlet of flaws, and you have to scavenge and scheme and steal and strike your way through with just the barest of bare minima. And it's an absolute bitch. I ended up trawling through online guides and video walkthroughs to pick up various tips of how to approach certain problem flaws. But to be honest, it was actually only because there's three sets of, of trials that you do, beginner, middle and, and final trials. And yeah. it was only really the beginner trials that were the issue. Like the second two sets are significantly more generous with what they give you to work with. But the beginner trials, they give you tree branches and pieces of shit. <laughs> and the enemies are blue rank enemies to start off with. So they've got a lot of health. They hit very hard. And because of the health regeneration thing as well, you can easily find yourself like almost killing an enemy and then your weapon breaks and you have to retreat find another one only to see their health fill back up and then you're basically fucked because you don't have a second weapon <laughs> yeah so like liberal use of like your bomb rune abilities was the trick there and careful constant aim but it wasn't fun yeah i'll be honest it wasn't fun but so many people online said that the beginner ones were the hardest and then it starts to become hard but fun and thankfully, they were right, because once I'd got the beginner trials out of the way, I had a real blast taking on, you know, the harder, in inverted commas, trials. And you're really rewarded for beating them by having your fully powered up Master Sword. That's like your reward for getting through them, which has got increased durability and attack power. And I really needed that for taking on the Champion's Ballad DLC content, which is also hard as nails, but... The reward for getting that is the Master Cycle motorbike, which was just <laughs> insanely fun to use, uh, whilst I then whizzed around the world, mopping up all of the shrines and additional bits before taking on Calamity Ganon and having a, just a phenomenal time. Because like the downside of how amazing the Master Cycle was in the original time I got it in the DLC was it was the last thing I got in the entire game, so I didn't have any use for it other than yeah. to ride it from where I got it to the end. <laughs> to the credits. <laughs> yeah, basically. So it was great to actually take you for a proper run out. So yeah, if anyone is thinking that now Tears of the Kingdom is in their lives, they don't need to play Breath of the Wild, I'd certainly say that that isn't the case. And there are even certain things that I think Breath of the Wild does better than Tears of the Kingdom. And me and Casper will be discussing those in the Tears of the Kingdom spoiler specials as well. So Stay tuned for further thoughts on that in that um, that sub-series. But yeah, that's... All right, I'm rinsed of Zelda talk for now. What have you played? I... <laughs> for a first game, I don't think I could have picked anything more contrasting <laughs> to your <laughs> second 200-plus-hour playthrough of Breath of the Wild. Anyone who has read an issue of our newsletter over the last few months will know that I've been playing a game called Daily Daddish. Mm. Daily. <laughs> you know, for quite a while now. The original Daddish trilogy, I've mentioned on here in passing before, they're great little bite-sized platform games that use a kind of thick outline Game Boy Advance aesthetic, and it's really nice. I've beaten the first two games 100% before I'd even got in the zone to tackle the third one that's been on my Switch for a while. Daily Daddish, which I guess is the fourth spin-off game, you could say, saw a really big, deep discount, and I thought, oh, I'll pick that up and give it a go. In Daily Daddish, instead of the game being made up of, say, 50-odd levels that you can blast through at your own pace, this is comprised of 365 handcrafted levels, but the catch is that you can only play one a day. And the rest of the game's community are locked into the same stage choice, so therefore you're kind of competing globally across the game's console and PC versions to try and take the top spot in time for whatever the particular map is. If you want to ignore the leaderboards completely, there's also an in-game bronze, silver, gold and star time to aim for, so you don't have to engage with the online stuff at all. If you beat that top time, you earn a little star that can be spent in the in-game store to unlock different characters, and I've quite enjoyed doing that. And in a nice bit of synergy, I unlocked the final character this morning. Hey, literally well this done. morning. And thus have decided for all intents and purposes that the game has been beaten for me. Like I've unlocked everything. Yeah. I could go, you know, another 150 days if I wanted to see new levels. 
But as soon as I'd missed one day in that chain, as I've been playing it for the last few months, I knew I was not going to commit to beating all 365 as to try and wait a full year to catch the level I missed felt a bit galling. And I don't think it even logs like which ones you've done and not done outside of saying, oh, you're on a streak of 10 sort of thing. Mm. You know, when I first started playing the game, I was a bit frustrated that I could only do a stage at a time. But after a few days, something sort of shifted in my brain. Instead of being an annoyance that I couldn't play more, it started just to feel like a nice cap to each play session because it was then a bit of a ritual to kind of beat the stage, Mm. look at the leaderboard, see if I thought I could compete and maybe play for 15, 20 minutes more and then just be able to move on. There was no obligation to do anything else. And that was really useful because I found for the last few months, really, getting properly involved in any games quite difficult. I don't know why. Like, I've just had a weird a weird brain thing for a while it's been quite hard to just be involved in stuff that i'd normally find quite easy yeah to the point where my legendary streak of 52 beaten games a year is probably going to falter this year because i'm, no, I'm it's way not. off the pace you need to catch up because this is the first year i'm attempting to do that as well <laughs> i want to do a special at the end of the year where we talk about the 52 games we've completed we'll see how we go i'm on about 20 on that's not very good for like eight months in But Daily Daddish actually really helped me continue to feel connected to games, even if a week passed and I'd barely played anything else of note, because I was still doing something and chipping away at that and making a little bit of progress. It's just a really nice platform game. Like all of the games in the series, I really enjoy. They control well, they feel good. And I did really enjoy the sort of time trial push the leaderboard provided. You know, I've said before, I enjoy racing games where I can just get mildly better with each lap. And that kind of felt like that to shave half a second off my time each time some days if the level was a bit tough i'd be happy to just get my star and then leave other days i'd spend what is in essence a wasted half hour trying to crack the top 10 (laughs) but it was something nice to do on one level on one day i managed to take the top spot if only for an hour or so but it did help that i was playing that stage at about 5 a.m and clearly most of the daddish diehards had yet to wake up (laughs) because i wasn't in first place when i came back to it in the afternoon (laughs) i've particularly enjoyed the way the game often serves levels that lean into the quirks of its own platforming engine Mm. so sometimes i'd finish a stage i'd get my star time and then i'd look at the leaderboard and see that some people were like 15 seconds quicker than me Mm. and rather than just going oh well i'll give it up if i was in the right mood I found it almost impossible not to want to try and find the exploits that they must have used. Yeah. So, you know, it could be a really carefully timed double jump that meant you could sequence break having to collect a key because you could get over a platform or something. Or I realized if you slightly hesitate before you start a stage, you can manipulate the game's global timer because everything's moving in the background before you start kind of thing. So you could maybe get a more forgiving configuration that made it slightly quicker to just blast through. I'd never have the patience to get into speedrunning a huge game where at any stage a whole run can just fall apart because you <laughs> press jump like a 60th of a second too late. Yeah. But I feel like Daddish is serving some of that precision with way less of the time investment. Yeah. So I liked feeling like, oh, <laughs> competing, <laughs> getting better. But it took me a minute to do a run as opposed <laughs> to two and a half hours of Mario 64 to fall off a ledge and be like, well, that was a waste of a night. <laughs> but yeah, Daddish. They're all cool games. I would highly recommend them. And you can play, I think, most of them for free in browser somewhere. Mm. I'm sure I looked last time I mentioned this, that they're all online. I should have looked it up again. But I didn't. No due diligence here. Cut that out. Right. uh... (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't really anticipate how much Zelda I was going to be playing when I pre-ordered Diablo 4. And I even pre-ordered the digital deluxe edition, which allowed me to play the game a few days early. And it sat there for several weeks until I was done with Tears of the Kingdom. And then several weeks more until I was done with Breath of the Wild. And even now I'm struggling to find proper sit-down PS5 console time. But I have managed to get it installed and working on the Steam Deck as well. So I'm hopeful that it'll get, you know, more playtime soon. But I have made a decent start on it and it's brilliant. Like, the story is insanely epic and dark and gnarly. And the opening cinematic alone is so tantalising that you just want to get straight into the nitty-gritty of the game and see what horrors await you. Gameplay-wise, it's exactly what I remember from Diablo 3, which is absolutely superb. It's fluid, flexible and satisfying. I'm currently experimenting with my barbarian character's build all the time, (laughs) trying out different weapons and combinations of abilities to find, you know, what's going to work for my play style. It's just great. 
one of the major differences in this game over previous Diablo games is that they've sort of done away with the procedurally generated maps in favour yeah. of like a designed world map and dungeons, which I really like in the most part because you can keep track of where you've been and which areas you've mapped and it gives the world just like a much more real, tangible, grounded sense to it. But I will say that the graphical design of the world still looks like it's being procedurally generated (laughs) with like repeated tile-like sections and stuff like that, which is is fine because, I mean, it all looks great, but... I don't know. I was expecting just a bit more from that side of things, I think, with this. So, yeah, the areas do tend to get just a bit samey, which doesn't really matter when they're randomly generated. But when you're then going back through exactly the same again, it does sort of lose its impact slightly. But there's also the seasonal content to come as well. And I don't even know how that works this time around. I can't even remember how it worked in Diablo 3 because I did play a few seasons worth of that even though I came to Diablo 3 really late. I started like season 12 or something but you don't need to play all of them. You just, you know, they're kind of in and of themselves. And the first season of content has now started and I think it runs till the end of October. So I'm hoping to be able to finish the main campaign and give the seasonal content a whirl before then, you know, the next season arrives because I did enjoy that and it was nice to sort of have it felt like it was rolling out at a decent rate that didn't feel like you were rushing, but, you know, it had enough then wait time in between to go, oh, yeah, no, I fancy I fancy playing that again. And it gave you a little kick back in. You know, I've seen a fair amount of complaints and I've even had a couple of mates who are playing it. So I have a bit of a moan about like how they are patching and readjusting a lot of the elements in the game as they go. Yeah. Like nerfing certain builds to the point of redundancy, which, you know, I can I can totally understand the frustration around that. But also, I just don't really care because, like, I don't think <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't think it will make much difference to me and how I play the game. But like, yeah. if you are trying to like maximize every stat of your build and play like almost competitively, then sure, that's going to wind you up. But I'm sure by the time I get to play the seasonal content, the rebalancing will hopefully have largely leveled itself out a bit. But yeah, I think <sighs> the trouble is, like, I just. If it was on the Switch, I'd be playing it all the time. Yeah. But at the moment, it's struggling. I can't believe this talk of like, oh, is the PS5 Pro around the corner? I'm like, I barely feel like I've touched my PS5. Yeah, I fully agree. Do you know what I've played on the Switch? Vampire Survivors. Vampire Survivors. Vampire Survivors. Uh, oh, I feel like this game <laughs> has been covered to death at this point because mm. it was a huge hit when it came out. You played and loved it for several weeks worth of podcast coverage. Yeah back when it was a bit more contemporary. But I finally got into Vampire Survivors in earnest because it came to the Switch. Yeah. You know, the Switch port is only a few weeks old at this point. This is now vying for one of my games of the year, (laughs) if only on a technicality, because it's only recently come to the platform. You know, I know it came Mm. out the tail end of last year, but, you know, we can play fast and loose with those sort of rules. Yeah. I think I probably mentioned back when you first brought it up that I had bought it on Steam, basically. Mm when it first launched because I'd read about it somewhere and then I held off playing it initially because I'm always fearful of leaping into anything as zeitgeisty as survivors became quite quickly but then when you really got into it alongside at least half of our discord (laughs) I thought yeah I'll give it a go I'll give it a go but for whatever reason I really bounced off it I just didn't click with it for some reason at the beginning I don't know why it just felt a little imprecise, maybe a bit too slow in the early stages, sometimes a bit unfair because I didn't really know what I was doing. Mm. And it made me really sad that so many were into it because I was like, I think I'd like this and it's just not <laughs> doing it for me. And that really upsets me sometimes. But with the dust pretty much settled on that whole early swirl of popularity, it drops on the Switch. It's like three quid for the game and basically every DLC pack. And I picked it up again because I thought, ah, let's try it again have not put it down. <laughs> you know, it's been out for, I think the Switch says, I've just hit 10 days and I've played it for 35 hours. That's insane for And you. for me, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know what's different. I don't know what's different because the basics of it are the same as they were and they're pretty hard not to enjoy once you're even semi-invested. Yeah. Because no matter who you are, it's just a constant dopamine hit of like popcorn enemies. Yeah. And that's fun. You know, you've got a seemingly infinite tick list of goals to accomplish. That's fun. <laughs> it's naturally addictive stuff. And it comes from a developer really understanding what makes modern mobile games such time sinks, but creating something that is less cynical and much more rewarding because it's incredibly low cost, 
there's nothing to drive you towards microtransactions if you're playing it on the PC or the Switch or anything like that. Mm. So the purchase is the purchase and the joy is the joy. And it is a joy. It's an absolute joy. Like outside of the universally understood and praised bits of the game that ensnare everybody, you've got so many elements that appeal more specifically to me. Mm. Like it has a really punk as fuck click and play aesthetic. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it yeah, looks yeah, like it dog does. shit, but I really love yeah. that. Even though it does look like dog shit, like graphically, yeah. it's insane that it's running on the Switch, oh, given how many things are it going on at one time. Bananaed. The way that everything is weirdly scaled, all the sprites are slightly mismatched, but like you say, it's the volume of everything. It's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous game. I love the soundtrack. Yeah. Like the more I've played it, these tracks are looping for 30 minutes at a time. (laughs) Like minute and a half tracks are looping for 30 minutes. Yeah. Not bored of them. A lot of them, I don't know how many people pick up on it. They're really referencing the Mega Drive and its sound chip quite heavily Mm. in a lot of places. And most specifically, there's a later special stage, which for anyone that's not got there yet, I'm not going to spoil. It's a real treat though, but it made me feel utterly vindicated that my initial thought that it was giving sega vibes was spot on because it's like (laughs) direct reference to a lot of sega stuff you've also got beyond that all these ingrained references and little genre winks and nudges that really reward having like some level of games literacy yeah which means that every time i play i sort of zone in out of the on-screen action because that's kind of what you're supposed to do but i'm simultaneously thinking about all the inspiration that has gone into making this such a juicy game because of the lineage of games it's drawing from I think as much as Daddish was the contrast to Zelda, this has a very clear link to Diablo and any number of other loot-driven action RPGs. Yeah. Because it's all about constant equips and pickups, obviously. There's links to the Musou games like Dynasty and Hyrule Warriors because yeah. there's a billion enemies on screen. I wonder if there's also a half-reference to kind of Earth Defense Force in the way that mm. the game is all about total access to the knowing and almost purposeful detriment to performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Because the Earth Defense Force was very much like, the game isn't running very well, and it's like, don't care. More ants, yeah. please. More ants. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got things like this roguelites in the game, singular instanced runs yeah. and character builds. And very specifically, I feel like they must have loved The Binding of Isaac because of how the game works with synergies and unfolding unlocks and lore and all this stuff that is done better in this than I've seen in other games that have gone on to copy this. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, because yeah. It's, it's now like a genre on its own, this kind of survivor thing. Then you've got idle games like Clicker Heroes, because the way the goal of every build is essentially to become self-sustaining and self-harvesting. Yeah. Which should absolutely appeal to our good friend Minty if he's not already playing alongside Fatherhood Duties. Going further back though, then you've got stuff, again, that appeals to me really clearly. You've got Asteroids, I think, in the early games, sort of avoid them up mm-hmm. gameplay. Then you've got bullet hell cave style shooters in the dying seconds of a 30 minute run when you're desperately trying to offset damage dealt by enemies to damage that you're dealing at the same yeah. time. Sort of just hoping the bars sort of wobble in the middle and don't don't fall off. There's even, I think, and this is far more niche, really clear allusions, I think, to the bump combat of the Ease franchise, that RPG oh, yeah. franchise. I played the first game yeah. years back and really liked it. But in that, you're just walking into enemies to attack them. And as long as your health points are higher than theirs, they die and you don't. (laughs) And that's essentially a vampire survivor's run when you're kitted out with something like Garlic or or Song of Mana. You know, that's what they do, isn't it? You're just blasting through shit. It absolutely plays on that. And I just really like it. (laughs) I I can't believe the game is made by a team of like three core people. Yeah. Like I know they've used a revolving cast of kind of fans and friends that have pitched in sprites or music or translations or flavor text or whatever. But the core team, the keepers of Vampire Survivors at Ponkle have made an astonishing thing with no real like direct thing to build from. Yeah. Like I said, there's a lot of references in there, but it's not like they looked at game A and said, well, if we just put a hat on it, we can make this game B. Yeah. They've made something that feels quite unique, even though it's drawing from a lot of different sources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's really inspiring to me that the game is making such insane revenue mm. because it's really deserved. It's really deserved. For anyone that hasn't played it and owns a platform that it's launched on, so mobile, PC, console, Switch, whatever... Yeah. Just get it bought. Like I said, it's like three, four pounds. You can't even buy a Happy Meal for that (laughs) at McDonald's. And the Switch port, like you've referenced, if anyone knows even a little bit about how computer hardware works, this is every bit as much an impossible port as The Witcher 3 running on the Switch. (laughs) And it doesn't look it, of course, (laughs) but if you understand what it's doing in the background, this team knows their onions. 
They really do. And when the game was doing gangbusters on Steam, everyone was banging for a Switch port. And they sort of held back and said, yeah, there's a lot of hype at the moment. And that probably would have been the smart choice to get it out Mm. there. But waiting until they'd rewritten the whole game engine and optimized everything and there was more content and all that sort of thing. That was the right choice. (laughs) You know, it it was they went the right route. And I hope it sells another billion copies. Yeah, (laughs) I really do. In one special stage I played yesterday, I became so overpowered that the collision detection stopped working. Brilliant. (laughs) And I accidentally wandered through a wall and then just died in a sort of floating limbo because I couldn't move, but the enemies could move towards me. (laughs) Brilliant. So 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. One of the best games I've ever played. (laughs) Have you you tried any of the co-op mode? Because that's new for the Switch version. No, I can't wait. I'm really desperate to do that when I see you next. That'd be so fun. For sure. Especially if we just do it with the two Joy-Cons just on the Switch screen in split screen or whatever, however yeah, it works. Yeah. That would just be absolutely ludicrous. For sure. Despite having Diablo 4 running on my Steam Deck, I was still finding myself just wanting to play games on my Switch, especially in the evenings on the sofa, for a few reasons. Chiefly, Diablo 4 is a constantly online game, and it means yeah. I can't easily pick up and put down the Steam Deck if I'm multitasking. Secondly, I forgot just how fucking loud the Steam Deck is. (laughs) Yeah, it it ramps up, doesn't it, when you're playing something like that? The fans are quite deafening. I left Diablo installing overnight with the deck plugged in next to my bed. And I woke up the next morning and I was like, oh, it's installed. Let me give it a test. Just, Just sat in bed, booted it up. And the noise of the deck sent my poor little spouse mouse of a wife scurrying for her life because uh, she probably thought the house was was taking off into the sky. <laughs> like, even though the Steam Deck is obviously significantly more powerful than the Switch, the Switch is still just so much more comfortable to play. Yeah. And it's got the OLED screen as well. So, like, I was looking for some pick-up-and-play games on the Switch that I could chip away at and a uh, nice bit of synergy whilst i was talking to you about vampire survivors when i was playing that you told me about brotato and yeah. while you're t- playing vampire survivors now i decided that it would be an ideal thing to chip away at and that is brotato again it's cheap as chip i have not even making the chip puns on the potato things <laughs> but it's cheap as it's, <laughs> it's cheap as chips yeah, and yeah. yeah, it's a vampire survivors alike game. I don't know which one came first, actually, but I think vampire survivors did. I mean, obviously, like you said, it's the zeitgeist subgenre. For what I was looking for, it's a lot more streamlined and simplistic than vampire survivors because I didn't really fancy getting sucked into another hundred-hour deep meta game of endless bullet heaven. But there is so so much to do in Brotato, and a lot of variety in its pretty basic setup. You're a potato, you're armed with weapons, trying to fight through waves of enemies. Killing enemies gets you XP and currency, which you then spend in between runs to buy more weapons and abilities and upgrade your build. There aren't, like, official synergies like there are in Vampire Survivors or, like, Binding of Isaac, but there are definitely combinations and builds to aim for that you'll discover. And that will constantly change as well as you play as different characters, which have different starting stats and characteristics, which means it's always forcing you to play in a different way and embrace a different side of the game. There are tons of characters to unlock, and then you also need to beat the game on five different difficulty settings with each character if you're going for you know that level of completion. And beating is reaching wave 20 and killing a boss. But there's also an endless mode as well for added longevity. It's just really fun. It's really fun. Like It's quicker to do a run of Rotator than it would be to do Vampire Survivors. Yeah. 15, 20 minutes for a run. But it's really good. It's, like I said, it's really cheap. It's really fun. It's got a fun art style. It runs really nicely on the Switch. It's also got adjustable accessibility options. So if you're finding it too tough, you can turn down like the difficulty to get that dopamine hit. But it's also got the challenge there if you want it. I highly recommend, you know, I mean, I bought it twice because you, you very kindly gifted it to me on Steam, but yeah. I wanted it on the Switch, but that's it's like that's four fine. quid. So, yeah. you know, no harm done, really. And that's been nice. That's been really nice. What else have you played? Stepping back and carrying on a bit from what I mentioned with Daddish, I could tell in the summer that I was in a bit of a game funk because every time I booted up a console or my Steam Deck in the summer, there was a pretty solid chance I'd scroll my library for a bit and then just play Tetris. <laughs> Yeah, And that generally means my brain's not not maybe in the best place. 
I played a fair amount of Tetris 99, not necessarily to unlock any new skins, as it's been a while since Nintendo have rolled out any new promotional dressings for the game. Though I imagine Super Mario Wonder will probably have one. Yeah. But it's just because 99 is something I can play and enjoy basically whatever the mood, whatever the weather. Like in that time, I've won a few more rounds. I've come second or third, what feels like about 200 times. But it doesn't really matter. It never feels frustrating. Just as when I win, it doesn't even feel that great anymore. It's just Tetris <laughs> yeah. 99 feels the best Tetris to me in the hand. It feels the nicest. It's a bit snappier than most of its siblings. It's the little things. Like it's probably a few frames quicker in rotation. And stuff like that makes it feel more urgent and immediate. And it's just my hands press a button and it does a thing and it makes me feel good. Yeah. Like a largely unsung part of this game as well is... The behind-the-scenes wizardry the developers at Arika performed that basically completely nullifies unintended D-pad inputs on the Switch. Because if you're playing with a Pro Controller, people have complained, rightly so, to be honest, about the quality of the D-pads on the Switch Pro Controllers. They're just a bit spongy. They're not as accurate as they should be. Mm. And it's not uncommon to play a game like fighting game, say, or an old arcade game, and get sort of unintended diagonals, and it makes everything feel a bit more mushy. Yeah. And in this game, in Tetris 99, there is literally a toggle in the menu that just says, do you want that to not happen? (laughs) And whatever they're doing works, and it never feels like it's eating inputs it shouldn't. It just feels really responsive. Yeah. For me, it's less of a problem because I'm a hardcore weenie. I've taken apart both Mm -hmm. my pros. I've performed small tweaks to the D-pads to mitigate that by blocking areas of the sensors. Like, I wanted to play Tetris properly. (laughs) But to be honest, that menu option in 99, I think should be freely available to every developer making a 2D action game. Yeah. Because I've rarely played a round of Tetris 99 on any controller and made a mistake that I'd say wasn't my fault. I pressed the wrong button and dropped the piece at the wrong time. It's not because yeah. the D-pad made me do it. I want it to be my decision. <laughs> <laughs> Use the sausages of breakwater. <laughs> Outside of Tetris 99, I've also sampled a few further afield Tetris titles, mainly to give me goals to work for via their RetroArch integration with the website Retro Achievements. Oh, yeah. It's just quite fun to work through a game like that. Tetris DS was always a classic Tetris entry developed by nintendo in-house and you know because of that it had a huge swathe of modes that referenced nintendo franchises and nintendo characters and it all had kind of nintendo set dressing and it's been a lot of fun relearning and then reconquering some of those modes that are a little bit more niche playing the game emulated on the steam deck is good fun as well because it looks nice scaled up and for the most part the touchscreen modes work quite nice as well with the console's touchscreen like it's different because the Steam Deck obviously has a capacitive touchscreen rather than the old stab-away resistive touchscreen that the DS has. But for the type of inputs I've needed to use, it's felt pretty decent. So everything's popping along nicely. The Nintendo theming in Tetris DS still keeps it way up the list for me in terms of Tetris ranking as well. And looking back at the game with the benefit of hindsight, it's also a real classic because of how it normalised so many of the tweaked mechanics like ghost pieces or hold pieces or rotation behaviour that are now pretty much the established Tetris canon rule set that is used in everything. So if you play a Tetris game on a touchscreen version or right through to a Tetris effect, it's using essentially the same rule set now. It's good. Tetris 99. <laughs> It's a classic. I've also, on the other end of the scale, for not quite so good, played a decent throw of V Tetris on the Virtual Boy. Again, obviously emulated. (laughs) Aside from being red, this is not that far removed from vanilla Tetris on the Game Boy, though it does have one weird mode in particular that I've not really wrapped my head around, where the board scoots either left or right after every drop. And it's essentially creating like a double width well. You can only see half it at a time, but every time you make a drop, it slides over. Right. And I think on the original 3D hardware for the Virtual Boy, you could kind of see the second half of your board behind the area you were working with. But that's kind of lost a bit when it's flat emulation. But the principle's kind of there, I guess. But Mm. I wouldn't really recommend that if you're looking for a Tetris game, unless you want severe red eye strain and a mode that doesn't really work that well. It's pretty low down the list. Finally on the Tetris challenge page, a two for one. I played the plain old Tetris and slightly more exotically titled Megatris for a console called the Use Box. That's U-Z-E Box. And this was emulated, but slightly different to my other Tetris forays 
because these editions have been created for the used box, which is a console that does not exist. Right. <laughs> it fits alongside similar projects like the Pico 8. So it's like a fantasy console. Yeah. That's got kind of deliberately modest imagined hardware specs that developers go, oh, I would like to explore these uh, virtual machines to encourage my creativity through limitation yeah it's the five obstructions isn't it <laughs> yeah exactly and i don't know if straight tetris clones really show that much creativity <laughs> <laughs> both games play reasonably well on this sort of nes era hardware and i did get all of the associated retro achievements in both games so you know master of tetris on the use box i suppose <laughs> <laughs> what else have you played on your consoles well another pick up and play game that i was turned on to by our good friend casper is tents and trees uh, which oh, is a logic puzzle it's game it's a nice one it's nice it's lovely it's lovely it's sort of a cross between picross minesweeper sudoku it's it's that sort of thing it's really beautifully made it's on the switch and i got it in a sale for like about 50p but it's worth it for full price to be honest it's just really really well made like it's got lovely smooth animations and graphics and user interface it's also got surprisingly nice music in it as well we're talking about like nice looping music yeah like these tracks aren't long and there's not many of them but i was really enjoying it like all the best logic puzzle games it's pretty simple with a few basic rules basically there's a grid with a bunch of trees in different squares each tree needs to have one tent next to it on its cardinals but tents can't touch the eight squares around other tents there are numbers on the left and top of the grid denoting how many tents are in each row and column and then through process of elimination you work out where the tents go that's it yeah i think i mean that's... if you follow that well done <laughs> there are tons of levels of increasing size and difficulty including levels with numbers missing from the sides of the grid Ooh. meaning you have to work extra hard to figure out where the tents go through combinations of other rules I know you gave it a bit of a go and you were convinced that there were times when you had to just guess where it tents go like and it. it's never the case. Uh, never the case. But that's the beauty of it. Like yeah. there were times in Picross where you're like, well, I've just got to guess now, but you'll have missed something. And yeah. there have definitely yeah. been times where it's taken me several minutes to spot where my next move needs to go. And, you know, I'm still learning new patterns and things to look out for to help solve things quicker. But I've also just discovered that there's a mobile version of the game as well, which is free to play and it's got even more content in there, like specifically vertically designed levels fit for phones. Oh, one handed. Hello. That's the dream. One thumb. Portrait mode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is free and you can pay to get rid of ads or you can pay to buy more coins in the game. Then you need to unlock more levels. Like just playing the game gives you quite a lot of coins to unlock a lot of things but i have reached a cusp now where i'm like well now i'm not getting enough coins and i have to watch ads to get it so i decided to pay for a, a, like 10 pounds worth of coins so i'm hoping that that is i mean i, I don't think i'm going to need to watch ads for a very long time yeah with that yeah. amount of coins and it's certainly worth the money for that i've got my wife into playing it as well and she's enjoying it and yeah i highly recommend it on either the switch or mobile it's brilliant i don't say this lightly it's my favourite logic puzzle game since Minesweeper Genius. Yeah, that's high praise. Which was also a certified yes of a game. So yeah, a real, real pleasant surprise. Very, very well made. Very nice. Very nice game. I should go back to it because I did enjoy it. Mm. You know, I, I reached that kind of sticking point, like I said, where I felt I was having to guess. And it's likely, as you said, that I missed something or didn't kind of observe one of the rules I should have to kind of fill the, the gaps more logically. So I should pick it up again. It's sat on the home screen of my Switch. You know, I've literally played Vampire Survivors and this was probably the game before it on the Switch. So yeah. it's not that far to move my cursor one icon over and select it. But yeah, it's a good game. I would equally recommend it. I haven't played the mobile one, but maybe that would get me into it a little bit more if it was a bit more convenient mm. in that sense rather than on the Switch. What else have you played? I've played new star gp oh is that from new star games like yeah. new star soccer yeah. etc brilliant i haven't played this yet it's been a hot minute since new star games have last dropped one of their immediate sports classics but quite recently i think within the last month new star gp launched in early access on steam mm. and as with all their games it is a new star take on a sport in this case formula one racing and it appealed to me almost immediately, not because I have any affinity whatsoever for any professional motorsports, I mean, but either. because its visuals are modelled after virtual racing. Yeah, <laughs> it. Doesn't take much to sell me with chunky, flat-shaded polygons. 
Now, I can group pretty much all New Star Games releases into three pools, which are the Outstanding Pool, which houses New Star Soccer, sitting alone, hovering several feet above its peers. You have the Pretty Great Pool, which contains games like Retro Goal, New Star Manager, some of the other kind of lesser known ones. And then you have the Games I Haven't Played Pool, which is <laughs> things like New Star Cricket and Baseball, because as much as I'm sure those games are pretty solid, I've never installed them because I don't care about the sports they're based on. Yeah. Already, though, a couple hours into the as-of-yet unfinished career mode, because like I said, it's early access, New Star GP is sitting pretty comfortably alongside Retro Goal, and those in the middle tier as being pretty bloody great. I think it's going to be a banger. In the career mode, you're competing and completing in a number of racing events across each track in the racing calendar. So for each one, you've got time trials, you've got last man standing races, you've got full grid races, that sort of thing. And you're earning money to upgrade your vehicle, make social decisions a la New Star Soccer or manager to placate the different members of your racing team. And the loop of racing gameplay and then team and car management is predictably, as with all their games, really addictive. (laughs) But it's all made more successful as well by this game actually having a really great handling model. I think it's probably the most fully sort of fleshed out game that New Star Games have made. It doesn't feel just like a quick kind of arcadey thing it's much more nuanced in in terms of how the handling feels so you race around you've got a proper need for pit strategy and race plans and a pleasing level of difficulty it's not hard at least in the early season but it's still easy enough to misjudge a corner spin out and then find it really tough to catch the pack so you'll want to restart and get a better time and do better pitting is about maintaining your fuel but also about tire choice so there's other things to consider like the game's got a semi-dynamic weather system There's a real tangible difference in handling as well as tyre degradation and things like that if you're driving, say, using wet tyres but on a dry course. So it's not simmy to the point where you're tweaking the internal differentials of the engine or anything stupid like that. But it does add a layer of strategy that arcade racers usually don't have, which kind of sets it a little bit apart from its peers as well. So I think it does appeal in a way that... I think there's a gap in the market that they've quite successfully pushed into Hmm. like i said it's not finished yet it's really clear in its store page that it's not yet finished so it's not like a bait and switch thing but i have no doubt in my mind that it will be a great game and that it will only improve as the developer continues to take feedback on board and kind of rounds out the gp career mode and and other bits and bobs it does promise as well to come to the consoles in the future so a switch double dip is probably around the corner yeah but for now playing either handheld or docked on the steam deck it's already pretty good it runs really really nicely i love that there are now multiple retro themed modern racing games doing the rounds and all of them are great (laughs) like it really is good like if you want something that leans more towards old amiga sort of fast races like turbo esprit you've got horizon chase turbo basically a like for like sort of experience of that if you want something that's essentially straight up virtual racing worship but chucked in a blender with mario kart you've got hotshot racing if you want something a bit more like the old ms dos microprose races that i definitely remember playing on my friend kieran's pc when i was about eight <laughs> you've got new star gp it kind of fits that all i really need now is something modern that captures the thrill i get from sega rally mm. and i'd say almost every prong of retro racing i enjoy is pretty much covered <laughs> so until that day i'll just keep emulating the saturn version and having a great time absolutely absolutely Right, one last thing I'm going to talk about. It's also uh, the most recent game that I've played, and that is Blasphemous 2, which came out a couple of weeks ago. I, I did not know, one, I think it was in development, and two, that it came out, and three, that you've presumably played 100 hours in the last week? Well, no, but I have played it to completion. Uh, well, uh, well. <laughs> I always knew it was going to be a day one game for me. I love the original incredible combat and Metroidvania exploration, coupled with outrageously gorgeously grim pixel art aesthetic design deeply gory religious torture tones resonate very deeply i I love it torture tones is a good word (laughs) (laughs) and that's all back in this sequel and refined with more crunchy combat unbearably satisfying abilities that will make you wince and churn your stomach it's so so good There are some new mechanics at play here as well, which are really exciting, namely having a few different weapons to choose from. And you pick a starting weapon out of a lineup of like three choices, but you'll then find the others on the course of your adventure. Not only do these offer three very different combat styles and abilities, but they are also key to solving various different puzzles and roadblocks that you'll encounter too, which means that depending on which weapon you start with, you're going to have to go through the game in quite a different way, 
which is a great way of lending versatility to the game. Uh, certainly encourages, you know, repeat playthroughs and all of that. One thing I will say, the game is a lot shorter than I thought it would be. Yeah. Like, I know s- sequels tend to go bigger and more expansive, and this isn't necessarily a good thing. And this game is a lot tighter than the first game. Like, all the fat has been trimmed. It's much more focused and refined, which makes for a more satisfying experience. But also, it kind of reaches the end with a feeling that there was still an extra gear change to be had. And, like, I don't know if that's because they're holding content back for DLC. I've never played the original game's DLC. I think there were, like, at least three packs for that, which probably doubled the content of the base game across them all. So it's possible that we'll see more. But I definitely only want more of you know, this quality, not just more for the sake of more, and maybe another weapon to add into the mix, like a ranged weapon, maybe some cross-weapon combos that factor in changing between the weapons mid-attack. Betwixt. Betwixt attacks. More of the brilliantly (laughs) challenging platforming sections. But, like, the game's world, it's great to hang out in all of its profound absurdity. One of the biggest challenges in the game is just figuring out what the fuck anyone is actually on about. Like, working out what's what, because everything will have an overly epic religious or Latin-infused name. So, like, your checkpoints are prie deus. (laughs) Or, like, to upgrade your health, you need to find silver-clad crystal shards, ornate chalices. And your magic meter is, 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 uh, it's not called magic, it's called fervor. Your spells are called prayers. And your prayers are split into chants and verses. And it's like, it's sometimes a bit of a battle just to remember what everything is yeah. when it's being referred to in the game. That's very much a me problem. It's, it's all really good fun. And the beauty of it being a bit of a shorter game is that it is a bit easier to keep track of all of that stuff. I'm not sure if I'll do a repeat playthrough, start off with a different weapon, but I'll certainly keep an eye out for DLC for it. I did actually briefly revisit the first game and I was actually quite surprised at the amount of stuff and features that are in the first game that I'd forgotten about that didn't make it into Blasphemous 2 because there are definitely elements that I think would have worked really well in the sequel, but they just haven't been there. It's almost like, like I said, they've trimmed the fat, but maybe maybe they've trimmed a bit of the meat too. Uh-huh. I don't know. It's really good. Harsh carving. It was a harsh carving. It had all the all the precision of the work experience guy at Toby Carvery. Yeah. Can I have a bit of all three, please? Uh, a very thin piece and a very thick piece. Thanks, Tristan. No tip for you. Where's the salad bar? Do you want to know the final game, pretty much, that I played in the holiday and the final game that I beat in the holiday? Yes, please. Plants vs. Zombies. Oh, finally. The almost two year long Plants vs. Zombies campaign that my, me and my brother goodness me yeah. the final survival mode achievement was vanquished that's insane as well the done. last time we hung out this summer and doing that you get the alive and planting trophy it's awarded for getting through 40 waves of the survival mode and it's brutal but it has fallen <laughs> you know back in the Xbox 360 days me and my brother both still living at home then because this was a long time ago worked together to beat Plants vs. Zombies on the Xbox and Alive and Planting was the final achievement we unlocked then. And now, well over a decade later, Alive and Planting is the final trophy we unlocked on our PS3 run. Wonderful. And it was just really nice to do together. Every time me and brother Tom have hung out over the last year and a half, we have played at least a bit of Plants vs. Zombies. And the story mode went down reasonably easy. You know, we've beaten it a fair few times. It's not that hard. And we took turns basically level or lifing it, you know, to get through the whole thing. And that's really nice. The old classic couch co-op with your pals or your brothers. And we hacked through the main adventure. That was fine. We beat most of the bonus modes in an afternoon, you know, well over 12 months ago at this point. But the final endless survival has taken so fucking long. (laughs) So long. Like a successful run to do the whole thing, even if you're a wizard at this game, is probably about two hours long. And we have tried and failed, not hyperbole here, 20, 30, 40 times. <laughs> like, Jesus. Every time we've hung out, we give it a go. And every time we failed. For the first two dozen attempts, we were convinced we were just going to use our own big brains. <laughs> but <laughs> every time we'd hit that wave 10 and then just fall apart, we'd have a system that was working, then we'd just blow it and it would fall apart. So we thought, right, let's soften the blow. We'll allow ourselves a little peek at a video online. And we'll try and internalize just some of the strategy. Then we'll do it. And we started consistently getting into the teens, which felt like progress, but would still falter every single time. Yeah. And after 
too many failed attempts and wasted days, literal wasted days to count. We finally gave in. We watched through a whole guide and then tried to put what we'd seen into strategic practice. And even cheating, it took another 10 attempts. Cheating? That's not cheating, <laughs> for a start. To be able to look at something that has worked and replicate it almost to the minute. Oh, yeah, no, good point, actually. <laughs> I thought that would be it. And no, it's not. There's too many random elements. It's just so hard. And it's made infinitely harder by the fact that beyond the first handful of waves... Again, I'm not joking. The PlayStation 3 version drops to single-digit frame rates consistently. <laughs> and the Xbox version did not when we played that. The PC version that I've toyed with on my laptop does not. The Vita version did not. But the PS3 version of my beloved Plants vs. Zombies does not run well. <laughs> it does not run well. In the late game, Tom would frequently be shouting, Where is my cursor? <laughs> because the screen would fill with so many enemies and the cursor would be moving literally like every second. It might skip somewhere else. And it was so hard to see what you were planting and where you could put a lane-emptying chili bomb. It was it was a real hard time. But I'm very, very happy to have this one licked. It's still yeah. probably the best tower defense game I've ever played. Yeah. Though I imagine it will be a fair old while before I revisit it again. Goodness <laughs> me. I think that's done. I think that is done, to be honest. So there we go. That is what we've been playing over the, the last couple of months. The listeners, what have you been playing? Tell us. Tell us. Come join us in the Discord. Go to o3c.games and click the join button. You can chat to us there. Tell us what you've been playing. Or you can chat to us on social media. We are at O3C Games on everything. Do make sure you follow, like, subscribe, retweet, rethread, re-X, re-TikTok. Give us a rating on your podcast platform. Give us a ranking. Yeah, subscribe to it. All these things help. Tell a friend. That would be great. That would be great. We can keep doing shit then. You can chat to me on social media. I'm like at Jonathan Dunn on things. I think I'm on at Jonathan Dunn 2046 on Instagram or something. Lovely. Chat to me there if you want, or chat to me on the Discord. I pretty much only use Twitter, even though I hate it. I'm using it out of hate now. Chaz underscore Hodges, still the same. Do make sure you subscribe to our newsletter because we'll be giving you weekly updates between now and the next episode. If you've got an idea of what you'd like us to do this season, then we're all ears. This is a good time to get your three cents in. Get your all in. Tell us what you want. And we might do it but we're going to aim to be back in a month's time and certainly catch you up and each other up in what we've been playing a little teaser i've been playing sea of stars oh 